All right, well, last week we uh, read through the book of Esther and, um, and, and, and talked about it and the, the story and how God desires us as his people to establish the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. Wherever we go, wherever we are, um, we can be the people of God in this world doing the work of God's kingdom. Um, now, after the book of Esther, we get to the book of Job. And um, Job is an amazing book. It really is. It's a powerful story of what God does in our lives through difficulty. Everybody say that word, difficulty. In, in, in fact, I, 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 I got to say this, because as much as we believe that God does great and big things in our lives, and who believes that God does great and big things in our lives? It, it does not deny the reality that we will all go through difficulties and struggles in our lives. In fact, some of you are in the room right now, and you're going through some difficulties in your life. And, and, and they come in waves, right? You have moments that are good, and then you have moments that are bad. You have moments that are easy. You have moments that are difficult. And, and all these things happen at different moments in our lives. Usually we have a kind of a combination of both, but usually one's stronger than the other. And, and the book of Job is a story about loss and a story about difficulty and a story about God's faithfulness in so many different things. And, and it is so essential to us. And God understands our pain. God understands all that we go through. In fact, you can find sadness easily in the Bible. We have an entire book called Lamentations because Jeremiah was what we call the weeping prophet. The dude was crying all the time. Things were bad. His life wasn't good. And we have a whole other book about it. And so the reality is, is that God understands absolutely the difficulties we go through. And so the story of Job is a story about this, and I want to speak today about when tragedy strikes, when tragedy strikes, when things just go bad, when, when they go every way of wrong that they can possibly go, when the money is gone and the relationships are lost and, and, and sickness or death happens, whatever it is, what do we do? What do we do when tragedy strikes? As the people of God, what is our response, our reaction when tragedy strikes? And so we're going to jump into this story. In your bulletin, you have just a few verses, but we're going to actually read through the whole of chapter 1, starting in verse 1. That'll be on the screen. And, and, and let's start there in this story of Job. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, so ten kids in total. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area, this man had it made. Who would love to be like Job? Some of you are like, yeah, remember, he had 10 kids, so are you ready for that? All right. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate them. 
when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, I mean, these guys were so rich that the kids would just party all the time. This is what they did. And the parties would go for several days. Who wants to be rich like that? Right? And uh, I, I imagine like one brother's like, okay, party at my house this week. And, and they're like, okay, how long's your party going for? He's like, three days. I'm a little busy, so we can only do three days this time. And so they do a three-day party. And then, and then they're at that party on the last day, and they go, okay, who's doing the next party? And, and the oldest son says, I'm doing the next one. And they're like, how long is your party going to be? Well, i got to beat you all. Mine will be seven days, seven-day party. And then they would just be partying all the time, having a good time. But watch this. At the end of all of these celebrations, every single time, Job would purify his children, meaning he would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. Job is going, I, I, I'm thinking that maybe if something bad happened, if somebody sinned, whatever it is, I, as the leader of this family, need to spiritually care for this family. And so in his case, it was to offer sacrifices, right? And, and so that's what he would do. For Job said to himself these words, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. What's the last phrase that it says right here? This was Job's what? Regular practice. Read it one more time. This was Job's regular practice. In other words, Job had a habit, had a habit of worshiping God, of following God. It wasn't just something that occurred to him every once in a while, but he lived a consistent daily practice of these offerings to God. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Basically, Job only fears you because you have blessed him. I don't know about you, but... Um, Having riches is not a guarantee of a person following God. So when the accuser comes, and the accuser is Satan, the accuser comes with lies about us. And understand that. This is what he seeks to do. To tear us down as much as he possibly can. And so, in verse 11, Satan says this. But reach out and take away everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. If you remove all of his prosperity, Job is done for. He's going to be angry with you, God. He's not going to be happy. He's going to curse you. All right, God says, you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Verse 13, one day. When Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. 
your oxen were plowing, with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Savian raid, Savians raided us, they stole all the animals. Everybody say, all the animals. And they killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Now, now remember, Job, back to verse 2, had 7,000 sheep, right? 3,000 camels. That's 10,000 right there. 500 teams of oxen and 500 female donkeys. So what was the least that Job had? The least he had was the oxen and the donkeys. Everybody with me? And so the first thing that comes his way, the first announcement that comes to him is that he lost the oxen and the donkeys, meaning he lost the least number of animals that he had. Have you ever lost anything in your life, but it wasn't that big of a deal? Like it was something, it hurt a little bit, but it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, like how the stock market is going right now. You, you, you've lost some, but you're okay. But you know, it's not too great. And so he loses some. But you know, you kind of think, all right, you know, not the end of the world. I can get through this. I'll make it through. But while the first guy was still speaking, it says this. Another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God. Everybody say fire of God. So watch this. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. Now we got a problem. He's like, I've lost the oxen. I've lost the donkeys. I've lost 7,000 sheep. I got no more shepherds, and they called it the fire of what? Of God, meaning not only are there enemies out to get me, but it sure seems like God is against me now. What do you do in that moment? I am the only one who escaped to tell you. In verse 17, while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news, three bands, of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. So here's, here's a situation, right? He has lost his riches. He has lost to death all of his employees, all the people that work for him that were killed, and so he has no more riches, no more way to make money. At least he still has his houses and he has his kids. I mean, if he got nothing else, at least he got your family, right? So while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all of your children are what? Dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And in addition to all of this, Job's wife, there's no easy way to say this, was a jerk. She was, she was not a good wife. And I am not talking about ladies in general. I'm just talking about Job's wife, okay? Um, all the wives of Vida Church are the most amazing women on the planet. Amen? The only problem was I heard more amens from the ladies than I did from the men. The guys are like, let me think about this, Pastor. Hold on, hold on. Just, uh. Amen. 
No, no, she, she, she was actually pretty, pretty bad. You, you can see it in chapter 2. If you've got a Bible in front of you, you can open there. If not, just listen. Um, eventually, after all this happened, Satan went back to God, and God gave him permission to actually hit Job's body, right? He's lost everything except his, you know, not-so-cool wife. And, uh, and so Satan gets permission to damage Job's body. In verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, Job scraped his skin because he had like these boils on his skin with the piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. Here's his wife. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? How in the world do you say that? And then she goes, curse God and die. Yeah, yeah, that like, thank you, woman of God. That's exactly what I wanted to hear right now from you, you know. And, 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 and she says this to him. So Job is just in this hard, difficult spot. Now, you know, I, um, I grew up very, very, very blessed. And uh, I, I come from a great family. I, I love my parents. They have been amazing, amazing parents. And, um, and, and I've learned so much in ministry from both of them as well, obviously. Uh, we grew up, I, my, my three brothers and I all, we all love Jesus. We are all serving the Lord. I'm thankful that I got one, Pastor Jordan, here with us. And, uh, and, and, and there's so many um, blessings that, that came in my family. You know, we weren't, we weren't by any means uh, rich. In fact, we, we had very little money growing up. We would uh, probably go to a restaurant once or twice a year, and usually it was like Coco's. And that was like, oh my gosh, we went to Coco's. This is so amazing. It's incredible. And um, nowadays, everybody goes out to restaurants like 2,000 times a year. But um, um, some of you are like, no, I do home-cooked food, and that is it. Praise God. God bless you. And, um, but, uh, but, but we didn't have a lot growing up. But what we did have, and, and I don't know how this worked out, but we always lived in some of the most amazing houses. I'm serious. Now, my parents, again, they didn't have a lot of money, so they didn't own a house until many, many, many years later. But where we lived and the houses that we ended up living in were, were actually really nice. And we lived in some nice communities and, and different types of things. So, so we had a lot of blessing. Life was good growing up. I grew up with all four of my grandparents. Not, not all together, but, but they, they lived for many years. I got to know all four of them. Did anybody else get to grow up knowing your grandparents? Anybody else? Yeah, a, a few of you, but, but a lot of people know. And, and I know that that's a huge blessing. I got to be by the bedside of one of my grandpas at the moment that he passed on to glory with Jesus. It was an incredible moment with family members that were there. And you go, an incredible moment when he died? Absolutely. Because when you believe in Jesus, you know that that moment is a moment of incredible peace and a person journeying into their eternal home with God, right? And, uh, and we were there, and we prayed together, and we worshiped together at his bedside when he passed into the presence of God. I have some amazing experiences in my life of th good things that God has done. And how many would say you've probably had some good experiences in your life at certain moments too, right? And, and, and so I, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I've been abundantly blessed. I'm blessed with my wife of 20 years of marriage. I'm blessed with my five kids. They are all amazing kids. I, I am a blessed, blessed person. You know what? If you were to ask me one question, this question, what is the sign 
of a person who is walking in maturity with God. How many want to walk in maturity with God? And if you were to ask me, what is the sign of a person walking in maturity with God? 10 out of 10 times, I would give you the same answer, meaning I only have one answer. I'm not saying this is the most biblical answer. This is just the one that I would give. The sign of a mature person is that they are consistent and faithful to God, both in the good times and in the bad times. You see, because what happens is a lot of people, when they go through the good times, they completely forget. Everybody say, when they forget. They forget about God. That happens. When things are good, it's like, well, you know, I got other priorities. I got other things going on. I'm focused on my success. I'm focused on on getting these opportunities and getting these good things. It's easy when the times are good to just enjoy the good things, but not the creator of those good things. It's easy to forget about God. And then when all of a sudden things turn difficult, and they will, they always do. When things turn difficult to be a person that ends up in an approach towards God that blames him, that gets angry with him, upset with him, because things are not exactly like you want them to be. And so we see in the story of Job a man who when the times were good, he would continue to offer sacrifices. He was faithful to God when the times were good. And how many want to remain faithful to Jesus when times are good? But how do we react when times get bad? Years ago, I was struggling. I was going through a moment in my life where Things weren't going as I wanted them to go. Where the success that I was looking for was not happening. I was going through a moment where the finances were very, very, very tight. Anybody been through that moment in your life? And I was wondering, how do I pay all the things I got to pay? How do I pay, you know, the house? How do I pay for the food? How do I pay for... Um, all these things that are all going on, the utilities and this and that and the other. And I started having this internal struggle, a struggle in my heart. And let me tell you right now that the biggest struggle was not the external difficulty, but the internal one. And, and, and this, I, I went through this very dark season. Oh, I was a pastor, loved Jesus, all of that. But it was still a dark season for me. And and, and the reality was, was that I, and when I say dark season, I'm not talking about the difficulties that came. I'm talking about the state of my heart. Does everybody understand me? And and, and my heart was a mess. And, And I found myself in a certain moment telling God, God, I have served you faithfully. It's not fair. And you owe me for my faithfulness. Oh, how messed up I was. Has anybody gotten upset with God before or am I the only one? Oh gosh, a whole bunch of like holy people in this. Okay, there's a few sinners like me. Yeah, yeah. And then I was in this moment 
And I just could not see through. And I could not understand what was going on. And I was angry with God. I was bitter towards God. I love God, but, but I, was, I was just upset. Because God, God, where's your faithfulness? What is going on? As if, let me be very clear, as if God's faithfulness means that everything is going to be easy. Yeah, no. Not at all. Listen, the, the, the good times and the bad times are like waves in the ocean. They will continue to come. Has anybody ever realized that the waves never stop? They don't. And, and you can go to the beach. Have you ever tried to like punch the water and fight the water at the ocean just for fun? And, see? I, amen. You rock. Yeah? You're incredible. You're strong. Yeah, absolutely. You should keep doing it. Keep doing it. And um, you're at the beach, but no matter what you do, you can't stop the waves, can you? They just keep on coming. But there is one thing that you can do with waves. Anybody know? You can ride them. You can ride them. And no matter what situation comes, whether it's a good one or a bad one, no matter what season you are in in your life, you can always ride the wave to where God wants you to be. And so the reality of the situation is the good times will come like waves and the bad times will come like waves, but God is faithful in all of it. He is faithful in all of it. The presence of the waves are not a determining factor of God's faithfulness because no matter how many waves come, the earth still keeps going around. The sun still shows up every day. The rain comes as it needs to. There is food. There is everything that we need to live in God. And so he is faithful. What did Job do when tragedy struck. And let me be clear, I know at least for my life, and I'm going to assume for a second that for all of you, no matter how many tragedies you have faced, you have probably never had as much tragedy as Job had. I doubt it. Some of you are like, well, I've lost everything. Okay, yeah, but you, you've lost 100%, but you haven't lost the amount that he lost. Ten kids, all of his riches, all of it, God destroyed. In, watch this, one day. One day. No, like, not even in a day. Do you remember that one servant came and then the other one showed up while the first one was talking and the other showed up while the second one was talking and the last one showed up when the third was talking? He lost it all in like 20 minutes. Imagine that. I don't know anybody that's been through something like that. And Job's reaction is this, found in verse 20. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Absolutely. There is nothing wrong with tears. There is nothing wrong with grief. There's nothing wrong with lament, with mourning. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. Look at somebody close to you and just tell them, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. There's nothing wrong with all that. But then watch what it says. Then he shaved his head. That was a part of his mourning. And then, and then he fell. Everybody read this with me together. Let's read it together. And fell to the ground. To what? To what? 
This guy hears all of this news. He is just told that all his kids died. And he begins mourning. And then he falls to the ground. In fact, it's really interesting because I want you to see this. It, it, it says he fell, fell to the ground to worship. Everybody say the word fell. And say the word worship. One more time. Fell. Worship. I, I want you to understand something here in the Hebrew of what's going on here. When he fell to the ground, I, the, the best I can understand it and imagine it is that he fell in pain. He fell in sorrow. But the word worship is to bow down or to prostrate yourself. It's, it's the visual idea of somebody coming before a king. And when they come into the king's presence, they completely face to the ground, prostrate before the king. And, and, and so well, what happens, capture this, is he's not just falling to his knees and only stopping there because he is in intense pain for what he has lost. But once he's on his knees, he literally then prostrates his body before God and he worships God. And I don't know what he said. You don't know what he said. But I imagine that it was something like this. God, you are good. God, you are holy. God, you are worthy to be praised. And no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I have lost, you, God, are still good. Because we know, Hebrews 13.8 says, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it doesn't matter what season I find myself in, the faithfulness of God is never ending. The goodness of God is never ending. God, you are good in every moment. You are good in the good times. And you are good in the bad times. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter that which I have lost. But I will raise my voice in worship to you for you are good and you are worthy. Is anybody with me on that? And in a moment where I was struggling for a few months and I had lost my way, the Lord shook me. He got sense into me in a moment in time. And I had found myself saying, God, you, 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 you owe me this. Only to then later say, God, no. You have given me everything. You owe me nothing, but I owe you everything. And if you were to never give me a penny again for the rest of my life, I will still worship you. If I was to never have a victory in anything again for the rest of my days, I will still worship you. For you are worthy. 
And Job understood this, which is why he says in verse 21, he says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. I came into this world with nothing, and I'm going out of this world with nothing. I can't take anything with me. And so watch this. If it was God that brought me in with nothing, then I will still have God when I go out with nothing. He is all that I need. And then he goes on to say, the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. You know, it's like the height of arrogance to be like, when you get blessed, right? And you're like, oh, God blessed me. How many have ever said that before? God blessed me, right? You got this job you want. Oh, God blessed me. Or you got this nice opportunity, right? God blessed me. Or all of a sudden you got a check in the mail that you didn't expect. You're like, God blessed me. God blessed me, right? God God did it. God did it. And then all of a sudden when things are bad, it's like, what's wrong, God? What's your problem? My friends, If God can give it, he has all the permission in the world to take it. Because it was all his to begin with. It was never mine. And never will be mine. And so if he blesses with you, a house, you with the house, as we got six years ago, and then he says get rid of it, then you get rid of it. Because God gives, God takes away, and you do whatever he says. And you flow with whatever season you are in. And I want to I tell you something right now that God permits tragedies in our lives because there are lessons to be learned. And if you have come out of past tragedies in your life bitter and angry with God, and especially if you're in one right now, in this moment, I'm speaking to you if you're in one, and if you're not in one, you will be, but, but if you're in one right now, if you're in one right now, there's a lesson God is wanting to teach you. And my prayer, watch this, my prayer for you, it really is, is that you don't get out of this tragedy before you learn the lesson you need to learn. My prayer is that God will keep you in it long enough to learn what you need to learn and then bring you out of it. Because God wants to do some incredible things. And when you learn what God wants you to learn, in the difficulty, let me tell you that the blessing that comes after that is far beyond anything you can imagine. I am living in an amazing season of life today. Oh, does that mean it'll all be perfect forever? No, 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 it won't. There will be difficulties again. It comes. But I'll be ready for it next time because I will be a worshiper in every single season of my life. I'll be a worshiper. And so, after he says, the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away, everybody read this last phrase with me. What does he say? Praise, if we could put verse 21 still, praise the name of the Lord. Say it together with me one more time. Praise the name of the Lord. In the good times, I will praise the name of the Lord. And in the bad times, I will, somebody, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord in every season of my life. When there's a 100,000 in the bank account, I've never had that, but when there is, 
Praise the name of the Lord. And when there's $5 in it, praise the name of the Lord. When my kids are healthy, praise the name of the Lord. But when my son David at birth was in the intensive care unit for seven days, praise the name of the Lord. I will keep on praising no matter the season I find myself in. Keep praising, church. Don't stop. And you will see God's mighty hand at work in your life. If everything was good, you would have no need for miracles. But when things are bad, you keep praising. And you will see God show up in powerful ways. And I know the Lord today is speaking to some people. I know he is right now. God put this message right here at this time. I'm just following scripture. I'm not coming up with random messages. Just following where we are in the Bible and just going with that. But God is speaking to some people here today. And it's time for you to get up and praise. Or bow down and praise. You choose your position, but just praise. Keep on worshiping. Let's stand up together. Jesus, today we are so grateful and so thankful to you. Because you have given us life. We have life because of you. We are full of the Spirit of God because of you. We are blessed because of you. And no matter the season that we find ourselves in Jesus today, we want to worship you. And if you're in a place today where you realize that worship needs to be restored in your heart, that whether because of the good times, you've kind of distanced yourself from God, or in the bad times that you're in, you've been in a position of blaming God and bitterness and anger, but you realize today, I need a heart of worship to be restored inside of me. I want to praise the name of the Lord. I don't want to allow my circumstances to dictate my worship. I want my worship to impact my circumstances. And if that's the type of heart that you need from the Lord today, would you just raise up a hand or raise up both hands? And I believe he's going to transform some hearts at this moment. Lord Jesus, you see all the hands in this room that are raised right now people that understand their need to allow you to work deeply inside of them, that you would cause for the newness and the freshness of your life and your goodness to be deposited in them so that, Lord God, they may begin to praise you in every moment, in the good, in the bad, in the easy, in the difficult, that they would become a people that praise you faithfully and joyfully in the presence of good things and in the presence of bad things. Lord, would you bless them with a new heart, with a renewed heart, with a transformed heart to be the people you want them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's declare this together, church.